According to the Alzheimer's Association, an estimated 5.8 million Americans of all ages are living with Alzheimer's dementia in 2019, and that includes 200,000 under the age of 65. Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, and you are listening to Mind Talk. In today's edition of our series, 530, A Real-Time Dementia Story, we are joined by Dr. Chad Larson. Dr. Chad Larson is a double-certified clinician. He is certified as a naturopathic medical doctor and a chiropractor. Dr. Larson, welcome. Thanks for having me. Dr. Larson, you just heard me indicate that our conversation, yours and mine, is part of a series about the lived experience of dementia. For those who are listening and are wondering how a naturopathic medical doctor and chiropractor can add to a conversation about dementia, what do you say? Well, I'd first say those statistics that you mentioned, they're staggering, and they're only going to increase. And the pharmaceutical model for treating Alzheimer's um, has abysmally failed completely. Their methodology or the, the, the tactic um, just has not worked. Basically, most of the medications that they've tried to develop to treat Alzheimer's is to try to get rid of amyloid beta, which is kind of this protein that tends to build up in Alzheimer's, leading to destruction of the neurons and the brain, etc. And uh, the drugs that are supposed to target this substance have completely failed, and they're not working. And so people are left with really no treatment options. It's just kind of a, a waiting process, kind of a watch and wait, and really not a lot of education around proactivity that uh, patients could do to minimize the progression of their condition and possibly even reverse it. So um, I think it takes kind of an alternative uh, mindset to uh, think differently about this really serious problem. Now, when you say uh, possibly reverse it, possibly certainly halt it, that's music to the ears of many. But as you say, to many clinicians, that's just kind of giving out false hope. What makes you think that this is actually not a false hope perspective to pursue? There's been lots of case studies that have been published in peer-reviewed medical journals of cases where the appropriate individualized therapy has been applied and uh, the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease have lessened and reversed in some cases. So this is not just a made-up thing. This, is, uh, this has been written about in, in the clinical literature. Now, so I understand, I'm sure the listeners understand how a naturopathic medical doctor, given what you have said so far, would be involved in this kind of conversation and in this kind of work. You are, among many things, a clinical consultant uh, on a team for Cyrex Laboratories, What's that? Who's that? What are they doing? Yeah, Cyrex Laboratories is a lab that focuses on uh, immune dysregulation and autoimmunity. So these sort of uh, chronic 
conditions that oftentimes lead to chronic inflammation and immune dysregulation. And Alzheimer's disease actually fits pretty well into that sort of uh, category that Cyrex really focuses on. And so the way that Cyrex approaches um, conditions is to look for the underlying triggers to the inflammation or to the immune dysregulation. And like, for example, with Alzheimer's, we know that inflammation and immune dysregulation are quite at the root of Alzheimer's development. So Cyrex has uh, multiple panels that can be used to evaluate a person's risk factor for developing these problems. And if we could identify the risk factor, then that increases the chance that we could treat that risk factor and help to mitigate the progression of the condition. Now, you've used the term immune dysregulation a couple of times. What does that exactly mean? Basically, the immune system is supposed to strike a certain balance in the system. And for a variety of reasons, that balance could be tipped toward the scale of hyperimmune response. When there's a hyperimmune response, that leads to an inflammatory cascade. And there's a variety of things that can cause that that hyperimmune response, like different pathogens. Think of like viruses, bacteria, parasites, mold. These things can cause hyperimmune response and this type of immune dysregulation. Certain dietary proteins. Most people have heard of like gluten from wheat or dairy in certain individuals can cause immune activation and inflammation. Um, other things like chemicals. There's certain chemicals like mercury and lead and um, other chemicals that we're exposed to a lot, like the different phthalates and uh, different things like that, uh, bisphenol A, BPA in plastic bottles and stuff. These things can trigger an immune response. And once this immune response is triggered, inflammation could follow, and that could lead to um, effect on the brain, such as neurodegeneration, neuroinflammation, and then eventually pathology. And so this is really the focus of this kind of individualized lab testing that uh, could be used to identify these issues on a case-by-case basis. Are there? I want to come back to the different panels um, that you referenced, uh, but at this moment, are there typical signs that might suggest cognitive decline? Yeah, I mean, the, the main kind of initial symptom in the different varieties of cognitive decline in Alzheimer's disease um, is inability to form new memories. Um, So it's, uh, you know, it's losing the keys or forgetting um, you're driving down the road to go somewhere and you forget like, you know, maybe just 10 seconds or 15 seconds. You have no idea why you're driving on the road and you completely forget where you're going or new information at work or at or you know, just new information that you might have learned, all of a sudden is just gone, people's names. And people chalk this up oftentimes to, oh, I'm having a senior moment or I'm having a brain fart or something like that. And it's kind of cute and funny. And there's some cases where it is totally benign and not a big deal. But when you start to, to link these together and you start to see a consistent pattern a one-off here and there is probably not a big deal and not a sign of cognitive decline. But when you start to see this happening over and over again, 
and the frequency starts to get closer and closer, this is what we want to pay attention to. So that's a very common initial symptom of some kind of cognitive decline. There are those who believe that Alzheimer's disease and dementia, it's the same thing. Is it the same thing? Dementia is probably kind of a broader term, and Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. Okay. And there's other uh, subtypes of dementia. Alzheimer's is, um, as we're, you know, in the, in, in the age of the brain, and we're learning more and more about the brain every day, we're coming to realize that Alzheimer's is probably the most common form of dementia and the one that most researchers are putting their time into. But in fact, um, you can have, if you have Alzheimer's, you have dementia, but you can have dementia and it not be Alzheimer's. That's correct. Okay. All right. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue delving more into the kind of cutting edge work that is, uh, that is being done today in the area of Alzheimer's, understanding it and treating it. We'll be right back. My name is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk. Dr. Larson, one of the things that um, we often hear is that if you have a family history uh, of any sort of cognitive decline, then you're probably at risk. Is that true? There's different subtypes. As we continue to research dementia and Alzheimer's, I think we're going to come, come out with very clear subtypes that kind of fit these different ways that we're seeing Alzheimer's manifest. And so far we kind of have it down to some feel that there's like three main types and kind of a fourth subtype. Um, There's the inflammatory type, which does have a stronger genetic predisposition. There's the uh, atrophic type, which also has um, maybe a little bit less of a genetic predisposition, but it still does. And then one of the more severe type is called the toxic type, which doesn't seem to have a family history whatsoever. And then there's kind of a, a subtype, uh, they call it type 1.5, kind of in between the inflammatory and the atrophic, which is called the glycotoxic. And it has kind of a combination of things, but blood sugar dysregulation is a key component of that subtype. So I'd say like two out of the three or four have a stronger um, genetic predisposition. And the main genetic component that most of us talk about is the ApoE4. So you could, you get an ApoE4 gene. um, Let's say you get an ApoE gene from your mom and your dad. It could be, it could be ApoE2, 3, or 4. Most people are, are uh, ApoE3. Uh, They call it double E3. So you have an E3 copy from both parents. Some people have an E3 uh, and an E4, so one of each. And then some people have a double E4. So the double E4 is at the greatest risk of developing the familial genetic type, 
of Alzheimer's. So the only way to really know about that is to get genetic testing. Is that correct? Yeah, much of the individualized treatment that we're talking about um, for Alzheimer's dementia requires quite a bit of laboratory uh, evaluation. And certainly part of that evaluation is the APOE4, uh, E3, E4 uh, genetic evaluation. I, I got to ask you the question that I know folks are wondering, um, which is you're talking about testing, you're talking about evaluation. Are these tests covered by insurance? Um, some of them are. Some of them are um, kind of fall into a typical, typical category of, of laboratory testing that you would get just on a routine basis. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll say, though, that uh, the typical kind of stuff, think of like your cholesterol panel, your thyroid panel, even your hormone panel, um, those are oftentimes um, too abbreviated for our purposes. In other words, like let's say, for example, um, a typical thyroid panel is they look at TSH, which is thyroid-stimulating hormone, and they look at T4, TSH, T4. Those are two of probably eight markers that we actually run in a more thorough evaluation. So although your, your typical kind of insurance-paid uh, labs are a good start, there's usually going to be more that sometimes incur an out-of-pocket expense um, to really give you the, the full uh, evaluation. Okay. How do certain or do certain environmental experiences, if you will, trigger uh, anything having to do with the development of Alzheimer's, foods, chemicals, anything like that? This is probably the, the, the latest and in some ways the uh, most challenging aspect of the newest form of Alzheimer's, or at least our understanding of the newest form. And this is sort of this toxic form that doesn't have this genetic predisposition. So as an individual, they're not looking out for cognitive decline because they don't have that in their family history. So they're not, they're not thinking of it. They're not aware of it. They're not trying to pay attention to the early signs. And so it could be a very difficult condition to diagnose. In fact, they're oftentimes misdiagnosed with something else other than just this, this sort of uh, atypical form of Alzheimer's. But it's becoming very important, and a lot of researchers are putting time and resources into understanding this concept because, like you said, there's all these environmental agents that we're now understanding are affecting the brain. Think of like certain pathogens. And sometimes these pathogens we think of as gut pathogens, like E. coli, um, and Campylobacter jejuni are thought of as gut uh, pathogens, but, but components of these pathogens find their way up to the brain, and they break down the blood-brain barrier, and they infiltrate the, the brain and cause inflammation and immune activation, and, and that can cause uh, degeneration of the neurons. So this is a very current topic in the field of, of Alzheimer's and, and brain health in general. So really taking the broadest perspective possible look at what are some of the uh, factors that may predict dementia uh, in its various forms is, is what is happening now. 
trying to look at it before it shows up, in other words. There's kind of a saying in medicine that goes something like this. It could probably be applied to other industries as well, but I've heard it with medicine that when you hear hoofbeats, you first think horses, and then you look for zebras. So we're hearing hoofbeats. Let's say somebody has some cognitive decline. The first place to look is at these inflammatory substances. Um, They have different names like C-reactive protein. And looking at your basic blood work, looking at your cholesterol panel, um, looking at these different inflammatory markers, your white blood cells, your red blood cells, um, looking at these markers is a good first place to start. Let's say you don't find anything there. Kind of the next place to look is to look at things like your hormones. Look at vitamin D. Look at um, there's another marker that's kind of an inflammatory marker called homocysteine. You want to look at these markers. Let's call those the horses. When those are like, okay, well, we didn't really find much there, then let's start looking at the zebras. The zebras are going to be things like um, looking at heavy metal toxicity, looking at these pathogens, looking at um, dietary proteins. We know that these three categories, um, environmental toxins, uh, pathogens, and dietary proteins, could all trigger this kind of inflammatory immune response that could start to affect brain health. So on some levels, you know, it sounds kind of scary because it sounds like there's so much that could impact your brain health. On the other hand, it makes perfect sense that there would be so much that would impact, potentially impact brain health. And there's so much work now that's being done to really broaden the way the, the clinical field looks at the areas of, uh, that are associated with dementia. Well, you put it perfectly, and I'm really glad that you're bringing that to light because that is the reality of it. When it's oversimplified into a model of let's find the single medication that is going to treat all forms of Alzheimer's, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lost cause. It's just not going to happen. And so um, Alzheimer's manifests from a multifactorial standpoint. There's multiple potential insults that we have to consider. And when we, when we think of a single cause kind of theory, it's people are going to be chasing their tails and they're just not going to find it. So you're absolutely right. It is, it is complex, but we're starting to refine the, the components that at least should be initially tested so that we could minimize the confusion and, and get to a therapeutic opportunity as soon as possible. If we can find an imbalance, that gives us a therapeutic opportunity that we could start to treat and, and, and mitigate the symptoms that, that people are experiencing. In terms of the work that's happening at Cyrix Laboratories, what's your role with the lab? My role is um, as, a, as a clinical education advisor. So basically, um, we don't speak as a lab. The lab doesn't speak directly with patients. We speak to the doctor's of the patients. And so um, doctors call us to say, hey, you know, I've got a 55-year-old female patient with XYZ symptoms, which would be a good, you know, lab test to run with you guys. Or they say, I got these, uh, these Cyrex uh, array results back, uh, back, and I'd like to go over the results so I could, um, you know, interpret this for the patient and we could talk about what we're going to do to treat them. So, um, that's what we do on, on this kind of the, the educational clinical advisor team is uh, 
we help doctors uh, work through cases with their patients. Okay. So really a, a doc-to-doc service um, that, ultimately yeah, helps, exactly. uh, that ultimately helps the patients tremendously. You mentioned there are different kinds of panels. Without telling us too much, it sounds like jargon that many people may not understand unless they're in the medical field. It's, can you say a little bit more about the panels that are, are um, in place? Yeah, I'd say at the top of the list, the, the panel that, that's uh, most appropriate to, um, to, to this discussion is a fairly new panel. It's called the Alzheimer's Links, L-I-N-X, Alzheimer's Links. And it's, it, it evaluates many of the things that we just talked about. It looks at the brain proteins like amyloid beta and tau. Maybe people haven't heard of those yet, but they will in the near future. It'll just become part of our uh, typical language as Alzheimer's um, becomes mainstream. Um, but it also evaluates for these trigger categories that we talked about. So there's an evaluation for pathogens of certain chemicals, of certain foods, and maybe more, most importantly, this panel also evaluates the integrity of the blood-brain barrier. So there's this very robust barrier system that surrounds the brain and it's kind of the gatekeeper to let things in the brain or to block things so that they don't get into the brain. For a variety of reasons, there can be breakdown of the integrity of that blood-brain barrier, which then allows things that would otherwise be blocked uh, to very easily penetrate the brain and cause major inflammatory and neurodegenerative uh, problems. So, in fact, we're going to take a, a break in a moment, but it, it, what I'd like to talk about on the other side of the break is it, it almost sounds like you're saying if these, if the dementia, if the spectrum of dementia for some people at least is impacted upon by high levels of inflammation, if the inflammation is brought down or dispensed with, if that's possible, then perhaps the, the, the dementia experience can be reversed. I'm not sure that's what you're saying. I think that's what you're saying. But let's talk about it more on the other side of the break. Folks, Great. this is Pamela Brewer. You're listening to Mind Talk, and we're having a conversation with Dr. Chad Larson, and we're talking about understanding Alzheimer's dementia and some of the newest research that's in place as we speak. We'll be right back. Dr. Larson, just before the break, you heard me ask what actually sounded to me like a complicated question. Let me see if I can shorten it a bit. I, I think what you're saying is that much of the Alzheimer's dementia experience could be related to uh, inflammation. And so then my next question is, if it is related to inflammation and you indicate what kind of inflammation or inflammations are going on, can they be treated? Can the Alzheimer's experience then be reduced or eliminated? 
Yeah, inflammation is very much at the root of neurodegeneration because okay. neurodegeneration is basically destruction of the neurons. And the step before neurodegeneration is neuroinflammation. So these inflammatory substances um, damaging the neurons. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's the way to put it. If we can get a hold of what is causing the neuroinflammation, we can prevent and hopefully even reverse the neurodegeneration that's happening. Um, there could be other components involved in the inflammation. Inflammation is a major source of damage to the neurons, but sometimes the neurons run out of their building blocks for regeneration. Remember 50 years ago, we didn't think that neurons could be regenerated. We know that that's not accurate at all. Uh, we can absolutely regenerate neurons. There's lots of clarity about that now. But for that regenerative process to happen, the brain needs certain nutrients, certain cofactors like vitamin D, uh, certain B vitamins, um, certain levels of hormones like estrogen and progesterone and testosterone, thyroid hormones. These have to reach certain levels. So yes, there is the inflammatory component, but another component is having the nutrients um, to supply the regenerative properties that the brain needs for repair of these damaged neurons. So it, it really kind of sounds like there's a lot of exciting work that's happening in, in this particular area of research. Yeah, those of us that are following the brain research, new information is coming out literally every day. So we have to, we have to watch it closely because it's, uh, it's a really exciting time because we have better laboratory science to evaluate the different components of the brain that we didn't have. 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So we have ways of evaluating the brain that we've never had before. So when we could evaluate the brain in different ways, that can open up new uh, therapeutic options. As we speak, is there currently in existence a test that can clearly state dementia or no dementia? That's a great question. And no. And nobody should tell you that there is, because um, even though we have this panel called the Alzheimer's Links panel, I'm saying that this does not tell you that you could check the box, yes, you have it or you don't. Alzheimer's or dementia is very much what we call a clinical diagnosis. In other words, it has to be diagnosed at the clinical level. You, you can use laboratory testing absolutely as part of your diagnostic criteria, but you have to consider their whole medical history you got to consider their whole symptom profile. Um, all these things have to be put together to come up with a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, including certain MRI where they could image the brain, and that could be part of the diagnostic criteria. So there's multiple components that have to be considered. There's different uh, mental status exams, uh, like the MOCA, M-O-C-A, which could be used. Um, so uh, people who sort of specialize in this, or researchers who uh, evaluate this, they have to use these kind of multiple components really to uh, diagnose uh, Alzheimer's. Dr. Larson, you're doing so much important work. How do folks who are listening get more information? I know that you offer doc-to-doc services, but can the lay person get more information about what you're doing? Well, um, the way that um, a non 
physician could check out the information that Cyrex offers is they have a, um, a website that doesn't require a login. The standard website is CyrexLabs.com. Doctors can use that one. The one that everybody else can use is called Join, J-O-I-N, Cyrex, C-Y-R-E-X.com, JoinCyrex.com. And there's some uh, really good information that they could check out there. Terrific. Thank you so much for sharing your information with us today. I think uh, perhaps there are folks listening now who have a broader understanding of what is and what isn't. Thank you for that. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. And, folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk on this edition of the 530 series as part of Transitions Tuesday. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an Mind Talk is brought to you as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. If you'd like to be in touch with me, you can always go to the mindtalk.org website. That's where you can listen to uh, this show and all the Mind Talk conversations. They are available on demand. That's M Y N D T A L K. MindTalk is also available on several different uh, sites and platforms. You can get all that information by going to M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. And remember always, folks, if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. Thank you. 